Hello. Thank you for listening. Really quick, I would like to address that you are listening to one of our first episodes. We did not really know what we were doing as far as sound or banter. So if this is where you're starting, please be gentle. If you want to go to an episode that sounds more like what our podcast will actually sound like, I would suggest listening starting at about episode 8. Or if you want to jump to one of our favorite episodes, those would probably include Brandon Tina, Tyler Hadley, Chicago, D.B. Cooper, or the Black Eyed Kids episode. There's a bunch of others, but those are probably the faves. So if you're going to start here, though, just please know that this is not our greatest work, but it does get better. Thank you for listening. Creepy Life Podcast, the podcast for everything creepy. I'm Thomas. I'm Sparky. It's an odd-numbered week, or episode, I guess, because we're still recording this the same time that we recorded the first two, because quarantine. Yay! And we wanted to have, you know, multiple episodes to release all at once, Mm kind of show people that we're doing a variety of topics. Are we? Yeah. Okay. All right, what are you telling me about? Uh, today we're going to talk about Spring-Heeled Jack. Is that a guy with springs on his heels? Strange, strangely, no. Is his name Jack? Strangely, no one knows. Okay. Yeah. Tell me your story, sir. Okay. So, in the early 19th century, um, there was lots of stories of ghosts that stalked the streets of London. Uh, and they were always described as human-like and described as pale. Uh, and it was believed that they would prey on lone pedestrians. And it, it became kind of a a ghost tradition in London. And some people have argued that that's the foundation of the legend of Spring Hill Jack. That's where it came from. Um, now, the first uh, report comes from October of 1837 by a girl named Mary Stevens, who was walking to Lavender Hill, where she was working as a servant, because she was visiting her parents in Battersea. Now, on her way through uh, Catherine Common, a strange figure leapt at her from a dark alley. After immobilizing her with his grip, uh, he began to kiss her face while ripping at her clothes and touching her flesh with his claws. Creep. Yeah. Which, according to her disposition, was cold and clammy like those of a corpse. Even worse. I know, right? It's just creepy. Um, in a panic, the girl screamed, making the attacker flee. Uh, the commotion, it, it got attention of several people who immediately you know, launched a search for this guy, but never found. Uh, the next day, the leaping character is said to have chosen a different victim near Mary Stevens' home starting a, a method that would appear frequently in later reports. He jumped in the way of a passing carriage, causing the coachman to lose control, crash, and severely injure himself. And several people that witnessed it claimed that he jumped over nine feet, jumped over a nine-foot nine high wall, while cackling with a high-pitched, ringing laughter. Hmm, that's not weird. Mm, it's mm. something out of my nightmares. No, no, not, that, that's perfectly normal, especially for London. <laughs> right. Um, gradually... News of the character spread, 
And it wasn't long before the media and the public nicknamed him Spring-Heeled Jack. Again, there's no springs on his heels, though. Nope, no springs. No springs. Sometimes he's even described as having devil features. Pointed ears, nose, eyebrows, claws, fangs. There's all different. So he looks like you. He, he looks like me. With I'm, no springs on his heels. I'm man enough to admit it. I am Spring-Heeled Jack. Please don't. You love it. <laughs> no, I don't. Um, so a few months after the first few sightings, on January 9th, 1838, um, the mayor of London, Sir John Cohen, revealed at a public session held at the, the mansion house uh, of an anonymous complaint that he had received a few days earlier, but he kind of withheld that information because he wanted more information on it. Um, the letter was signed a resident of Peckham. It's, oh, that says Peckham? Peckham. I know, I'm just playing. The letter says, It appears that some individuals have laid a wager on the mischievous and foolhardly companion that he durst not take upon himself the task of visiting many of the villages near London in three different disguises. A ghost, a bear, and a devil. Moreover, he will not enter a gentleman's gardens on the purpose of alarming inmates of the house. The wager has, however, been accepted, and this unmanly villain has succeeded in depriving seven ladies of their senses, two of whom are likely not to recover, but to become burdens of their families. Wait, pause for a second. No, not just you pause. Um, I, I'm paused. <laughs> okay. Um, did you tell me that there were seven? What? That's a lot of people. Yeah, but it, it wasn't really wide known, and stories aren't exactly... Not every story has made it to us now. Mm. Some some were lost, some have made it through. At one house back to the story. At one house the man rang the bell and on the servant coming to the door this worse than brute stood no less dreadful figure than a specter clad most perfectly. The consequences uh, that the poor girl immediately swooned and has never from that moment been in her senses. So in modern day English did she fall in love with him or did she pass out? Uh, she swooned, so most likely he has her affections to the point that she never came to her senses. But he's like a corpse. But he's described as looking different. I mean, there's the, the devil, there's the bear, there's the ghost. Well, you know, if any bears come to my door, I immediately fall in love with them. You know, a lot of illustrations I've seen of him, I mean, some do look devilish, but there are a lot that have him looking like an average-looking gentleman of the time. Again, with no springs on his shoes. With no springs on his shoes. <laughs> you are really stuck on that. <laughs> I'm sorry. Continue. Uh, back to the letter. The affair has now been going on for some time. It's strange to say the papers are still silent on the subject. The writer has reason to believe that they have the whole history at their finger ends, but through interested motives are induced to remain silent. I'm really glad that we started talking differently. You know, I really wish we still spoke that way. I have enough hard enough time understanding people the way it is now, though. I'm just saying. But if we're going to use a language, we should use it properly. Nah. Yes. <laughs> yes, we should use it properly. Okay. Okay, so the mayor seemed very skeptical, uh, and a member of the audience confirmed that the servant girls about uh, Kensington, Hammersmith, and Ealing all tell dreadful stories of this ghost or devil. And it was reported, you know, to the newspapers, as well as other national papers in January 10th, uh, and on the day after, um, the mayor showed crowded gathering a pile of letters from various places in and around London, uh, complaining of wicked pranks that were similar to this. Um, 
the quality of these letters that poured into the, the mansion house suggests that uh, they were widespread throughout the London area. They, they said that several young women in Hammersmith had been frightened into dangerous fits, uh, some severely wounded by some sort of claws the miscreant wore on his hands. Another correspondent claimed that in Stockwell, Brixton, Camberwell, and Vauxhall, several people had died of fright and others had fits. Meanwhile, another reported that the trickster had been repeatedly seen in Lewisham and Blackheath. So the mayor didn't really believe any of this at all. Uh, he believed that it was all an exaggeration. People were frightened and were imagining things way beyond what they actually were. And he was instructing the police to find who was responsible and was offering rewards for information about who was doing this. I feel like that's a common theme in pretty much any type of cryptid or paranormal thing. Somebody up in charge doesn't believe and they want more information. Definitely. Now, there was a, a report in the Brighton Gazette, which appeared on April 14th, 1838 edition of the Times. It related to how a gardener in Rose Hill, Sussex, had been terrified by a creature unknown, or sorry, a creature of unknown nature. Uh, it wrote that Spring-Heeled Jack, as it seems, found its way to Sussex. Even though the report bore little resemblance to other accounts of Jack, the incident occurred on April 13, when it appeared to another gardener in the shape of a bear or some other four-footed animal. Having attracted the gardener's attention by a growl, it then climbed to the garden wall, ran along it on all fours before jumping down and chasing the gardener for some time. After terrifying the gardener, the apparition scaled the wall and made its exit. So they think this is all one creature? They think it's all one entity. They don't know what it is. I mean, so London has a history of ghost stories. So some people think it's a ghost. Um, some people believe it's a prankster. Some people feel it's the devil himself. It's interesting to me that they haven't brought up, though, that it could be multiple people playing pranks, you know? We'll get to that. Okay. Okay, so the best known alleged incidents involving Spring-Heeled Jack were the attacks on two teenage girls, Lucy Scales, and Jane Alsup. It, the Alsup report was widely covered by newspapers, including a piece in the Times. And, I mean, there was less reports on the Scales incident, but both of these in the media definitely raised the profile of, of Spring-Heeled Jack. So let, let's take a look at the, the Alsup case. So Jane Alsup reported that on the night of February 19th, 1838, she, was, or she answered the door of her father's house to see a man claiming to be a police officer who told her that uh, to bring a light, claiming that we have caught Spring-Heeled Jack here in the lane. Uh, she brought the person a candle and noticed that he wore a large cloak. The moment she had handed him the candle, however, he threw the cloak off, presented the most hideous and frightful appearance, vomiting blue and white flames from his mouth while his eyes resembled red balls of fire. That's horrifying. No, that's completely normal. Uh, Miss Alsop reported that he wore a large helmet and that his clothing, which appeared to be very tight-fitting, resembled white oil skin. I do think it's interesting that sometimes he appears so super attractive that you fall in love with him, and other times he's literally vomiting. He, he's vomiting <laughs> flame. Not better. No, no, <laughs> Not no. necessarily. But yeah, uh, she reported that he wore a, a large helmet, and his clothing, which appeared to be very tight-fitting, resembled the white oil skin, which is a type of material that like sailors would wear anytime they were going to be really wet. Like a um, scuba suit type thing? Kind of, kind of a, almost a precursor to that, maybe. Vintage scuba suit. I'm not as familiar with it, but I remember reading that sailors would wear it. 
Without saying a word, he caught a hold of her and began tearing her gown with his claws, which she was certain were of some metallic substance. Uh, she screamed, managed to get away from him, and ran towards the house. Uh, he caught her back on the steps, tore her at her neck and arms with his claws. She was rescued by one of her sisters, after which her assailant fled. So he's attacking her. She's screaming. Her sister shows up, and he runs. She lived, though, because she, she told this story. She lived. Now, my thing is, he's got metallic claws Mm -hmm. he's vomiting flame Mm -hmm. but he's afraid of another girl that is really strange i mean if he's a a supernatural entity why would he be afraid Mm -hmm. why does he always run anytime someone else shows up that's a good question okay now the scales case on february 28th nine days after the alsup case 18 year old lucy scales uh, and her sister were returning home from visiting their brother who was a butcher and lived in a respectable part of Limehouse. Now, Miss Scales uh, said that her deposition said in her deposition to the police that she and her sister were passing along Green Dragon Alley when they observed a person standing at an angle of the passage. She was walking in front of her sister at the time, and just when the person, or just when she came up to the person who was wearing a large cloak, he spurted a, a quantity of blue flame in her face, which deprived her of her sight and alarmed her. And so alarmed her that she instantly dropped to the ground and was seized with violent fits, which continued for several hours. Ah. So basically, he just vomited flame all over her face. (laughs) That's a really good way to win someone's affection. That is a great pickup move. (laughs) I I wish I had known that. No. Yeah. Uh, I would have been a a lady killer in school if I had known that all you had to do to win a girl's affections was vomit flame in her face. Wonderful. Okay. Now, her brother stated on the evening in question that he had heard loud screams uh, that came from one of his sisters right after they had left the house and on running up to the green dragon alley he found his sister on the ground in a fit uh, with her other sister attempting to hold and support her Uh, they took her home uh, and then he learned from his other sister what had happened she described this assailant as being tall thin gentlemanly appearance covered in a large cloak and carrying a small lamp or a bullseye lantern similar to those used by the police. The individual did not speak, and he didn't try and touch them, but instead walked away quickly. Now, every effort was made by the police to discover uh, who did it. A lot of people were uh, questioned, but they were all set free. No one knows for sure. See, and the fact that in the first one he was attacking the girl, and in the second one he didn't touch her at all other than vomiting flames in her face again is making me wonder if it's more than one like even if it was like a creature like for example they would have more of a similar mo well no but like necessarily like for example different dogs have different you know personalities and that could be you know maybe they're different beings and one is more calm than the other one's just like hey look at my flames they're really impressive but the fact that every time he Appears he's doing something completely different. Mm-hmm. He's attacking. He's scaring. He's vomiting flame in their face. It, yeah, it it definitely seems like it's multiple, multiple people. And as for the flame, it could have been a time traveler with a flashlight for all we know. And that made her blind. That made her blind because she had never seen an LED flashlight. Did she recover from her blindness, or do we not know? Um, we don't really know. I couldn't find anything about that, but. Yeah, I'm, I'm assuming that if she maintained her blindness for the rest of her life, she would have. It would have been okay. known. I also am kind of worried that 
you know, if she was having, like, seizures for hours, I don't feel like that's good for your brain. No. She probably had a lot of brain damage or something after that. Could have, yeah. Okay, so the the Times reported the attack on Miss Alsup under the heading The Late Outrage at Old Ford, um, which is followed by an account of the trial of Thomas Milbank. who immediately after the reported attack on Jane Alsop boasted in the Morgan's arms that he was Springheel Jack. He was arrested and tried at Lambeth Street Court. The arresting officer was James Lee, who had earlier arrested William Corder, the Red Barn murderer, which is something I would like to look into later. Uh, Milbank had been wearing white overalls and a great coat, which he dropped outside the house, and the candle he dropped was also found. He escaped conviction only because Jane Alsop insisted her attacker had breathed fire, and Milbank admitted that he could do no such thing. So after these incidents, Springheel Jack became one of the most popular characters of that era. Um, his exploits were reported in newspapers, and he became the subject of several penny dreadfuls, you know, like little books, and there were several plays performed in uh, cheaper theaters around the time. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, I want to play Springheel Jack. That that would be wear bear skin. That would be that would be pretty fun and actually. Have a flamethrower down my throat because that's how that works. Ow. <laughs> um. Uh, it also states that uh, even the, sometimes the devil was renamed Springheel Jack in some Punch and Judy shows. Punch and Judy. Yeah, I'm not really sure what that was. I probably should have looked that up. Nah. Um. But yeah, so fame continued to grow. Um, and even though he was getting more and more famous, reports became less and less frequent. Mm -hmm. However, in 1843, there was a new wave of sightings, and they described him as being uh, the devil, uh, with horns, eyes of flame, um, attacks on drivers and mail coaches was common. In 1847, there was a spring heel Jack investigation, led by Captain Finch, uh, being convicted of two charges of assaults against women, which he said he had been disguised in a skin coat, which had the appearance of bullock's hide, skullcap, horns, and mask. Why? Why? I don't know. I think people were just bored. It, it kind of reminds me a little bit of the killer clowns thing that happened a few years ago. Oh, which yeah. Which is something I'm going to cover later. But, um, yeah, like, you know, you just, here, let's see how many people we can scare the crap out of. But again, I, I do think that it's interesting that, you know, the fire breathing is something that they brought up earlier that, oh, yeah, I can't do that, so it wasn't me. Yeah, that... <laughs> Man, there's a lot of weird stuff. People get bored, they do weird stuff. I mean... Well, um, they could have been carnival workers that breathe fire, though. That That is true. When did people start doing that? I'm not really sure. I'm gonna look it up. But, um, last reports uh, were from the 1870s. Um, in a state of commotion, which is what is known as Peckham's ghost, a mysterious figure uh, that was alarming in appearance, was believed to be none other than spring Jack, who terrified a past generation, is how the newspapers were putting it. I got a couple sightings here. Before you get into that, fire breathing started in the 1990s, so... Oh, uh, too bad. Mm -hmm. Hollywood got that wrong. <laughs> so I got a couple sightings from the 1870s. Uh, Aldershot. This sighting was in August of 1877. It's one of the most notable reports of Springheel Jack because it came from a group of soldiers in Aldershot's barracks. 
The story is uh, a sentry on duty in North Kent peering into darkness. Uh, he was uh, His attention was caught by a peculiar figure advancing towards him. Uh, he, you know, basically said, you know, halt or, you know, issued a challenge, whatever they would have said at the time. And the figure came up beside him and delivered several slaps to his face. <laughs> yeah, he just walks up and slaps the guy. Uh, a guard shot at him with no visible effect. And some claim that the soldier may have fired blank shots at him. Others missed and fired warning shots. The strange figure then disappeared into the darkness. Um, yeah. So, walks up, slaps the guy, they shoot at him, you know. He's like, well, I just wanted to slap you, that's not fair, why are you shooting at me? <laughs> okay, so then there was, uh, Lincolnshire. Uh, in the autumn of 1877, Spring Hill Jack was reported in uh, Newport Arch in Lincoln, Lincolnshire, wearing a sheepskin. An angry mob supposedly chased him and cornered him. Just as in the Eldershot uh, case, residents fired at him but had no effect. As usual, he was said to have made use of his leaping abilities to lose the crowd and disappear once again. Hot take. He's Superman. Superman can leap tall buildings in a single bound. And he's bulletproof. And he's bulletproof. Okay, so Liverpool. Uh, by the end, were of the that, Beatles here? I think this was a little bit before their time. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, by the end of the 19th century, the reported sightings of Springheel Jack were moving towards the northwest of England. Around 1888, in Everton, North Liverpool, he allegedly appeared on the roof of the Saint Francis Xavier's Church in Salisbury Street. In 1904, there were reports of appearances in nearby William Henry Street. Yeah, so there was a vast urban legend built around this character. It, it influenced a lot of aspects of Victorian life and uh, popular culture. Uh, for decades, his name was uh, equated as a boogeyman, you know, a way of scaring kids to make sure that they would behave, <laughs> which, if they were like me, didn't work. They, they would tell him that if they didn't mind, Spring Hill Jack would leap up and peer at them through their bedroom windows. Which I mean, that would honestly probably work for me because, like, as a child, I hated that I didn't have like actual. Um, when I was really little, I didn't have actual like curtains on my my windows, and I was always afraid to look at the windows because I was always afraid someone would be looking back at me. You know, um, I had a friend that lived in the woods, and I don't know if I like well, this had story. a had a house surrounded by woods, you mm -hmm. know, and I would go stay at his house a few times when I was younger, and his room was nothing but windows. Like, it was a living room originally. Um, I hate it. Yeah, I was always scared because there was trees that would hit, branches hung over. So I was I would sleep on the top bunk, and I would be absolutely afraid that I would open my eyes, and there would be someone or something peering back at me. That would be a really good horror movie, too. No. no <laughs> not for you to start in. Not for me. Okay, so let's talk about a couple theories that I found. Mm -hmm. um, well, let's start with the more skeptical theories. A lot of people say that it, it was just mass hysteria uh, about the boogeyman. You know, uh, some stranger would they would encounter them and it would be frightful. You know, maybe he was a little disturbing looking. Maybe he was out of his mind. You never know. And so their hysteria created an image in their head of the boogeyman. You know, mm -hmm. uh, there was also urban myths about a man who clambered over rooftops, claiming that the devil was chasing him. <laughs> Our neighbor is weed-whacking. Our neighbors are weed-whacking while I'm recording. That's Other researchers believe that there might be multiple individuals that are behind spring Jack and that a lot of uh, imitators followed. That's kind of what I'm thinking. Um, although spring Jack is widely considered to 
Spring Hill Jack is widely considered not to be a supernatural creature, but actually to be someone with a really macabre sense of humor. So, again, me. Um, and it does match up with the letter that was sent to the mayor, uh, which... Or a layer, or a letter that was sent to the mayor <laughs> that accused a group of young aristocrats as the culprits um, after an irresponsible wager. So they they were like, "I triple dog dare you," and then they had to do it. Pretty much, <laughs> um, there was a rumor that was circulating as early as 1840 that pointed to an Irish nobleman, the Marquess of Waterford, as the main suspect. Uh, suggested that it may have been due to him having previously bad experiences with women and the police. So he's an incel. Pretty much. <laughs> um, he was frequently in the news, uh, starting in the late 30s, from uh, getting drunk and fighting, brutal jokes, vandalism, and it was said that he would do anything for a bet. Uh, and his uh, irregular behavior and his contempt for women earned him the title the Mad Marquis. Now, it's unknown if he was in London at the time the first incidents took place. In 1880, he was named as the perpetrator by E. Cobham Brewer, who said that the Marquess used to amuse himself by springing on travelers unaware to frighten them. From time to time, others have followed his silly example. Mm. So, And then it's, it brings out that by the early 1840s, he married and settled down and led a exemplary life until his death. So... It's possible that he used to get drunk and scare people for the fun of it. But again, how did he breathe fire? I'm going to hold with my time traveler with an LED flashlight theory. And if you can't tell, I'm, I'm jumping back and forth between skeptic and... Well, yeah. how do you know that? Blah, blah, blah. See, I, I'm thinking it might have been hysteria. I mean, they had fuel, they had fire. They could have, you know, created something that just made her assume it was that. You know, it didn't necessarily have to be exactly the way she remembered it. Hysteria can really mess with your mind. Mm -hmm. uh, skeptical investigators have asserted that the story of Spring Hill Jack was exaggerated and altered through mass hysteria. So just what you were saying. Yeah. Um, a lot of things have contributed, such as unsupported rumors, superstition, you know, oral tradition, publications, and, you know, making some sensational story. We know nothing about that. We know nothing about that. Uh, but there are certain also are some theories that Spring Hill Jack is actually an extraterrestrial entity with a non-human-like appearance. The the red eyes, the breath that's flammable, and the... <laughs> now it's back to being you again. Sorry. It's back to being me, sorry. <laughs> and superhuman agility deriving from a life of a high-gravity world, meaning he can jump super high in our world. Uh, and then there's... There's others that believe straight up that yeah, it's a ghost or some other phantom creature that appears. Now, most of the sightings that I found were from the 1800s to the very early 1900s, but I did find some sightings. Now, I'm not going to go into them right now, but there have been some sightings uh, in the 70s, 80s. Uh, the last one I could find was from 2012, but I also found some reports that Spring Hill Jack was sighted in New York. New York City? New York City. Oh boy. Yeah. So there's a, a lot of possibilities there, but don't really want to get into them too much right now. Why? Because they're just, they're, they're very short. They're just like, oh, I saw a figure that jumped. Or, you know, it's... I saw a bunny. It was probably Spring-Heel spring Jack. Exactly. That's a lot of the stories that I found. Well, but... bunnies do have red eyes. They, so they maybe maybe Spring Hill Jack was a bunny. Maybe he was an overgrown bunny. 
<laughs> braced fire. Uh, I'm getting some great images right now from this. <laughs> well, that pretty much wraps up Spring Hill Jack. Cool. Sources. Uh, sources, like I said, a lot of things I found about Spring Hill Jack, it was very, very short, maybe mentioning the first account. So I didn't use those too much. Um, a lot of the information I got, I hate to say, did come from Wikipedia, as well as Cryptids Wiki. Cryptids Wiki didn't have a whole lot. Most of my stuff did come from Wikipedia. I do remember, though, this is one that you knew about previously as well, though, too. Yes, Spring Hill Jack is one of those weird urban legends that I learned about when I was a kid. I had some friends move in when I was a young teen that were from England, and they had a lot of urban legends that they would tell us. That's cool. Anyway, that's it for today. So thank you guys for listening. Yeah, thanks for listening. It's been a blast, and I look to have a lot more fun recording new topics. Yeah. All right, stay creepy. Mm-hmm.